So over the past few months, I have been preaching from the Gospel of Mark. And this passage, we're basically coming to the climax, which is the crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that the religious rulers, which was the Herodians, and the Pharisees, they came together, and they were plotting how they might destroy Jesus, how they might kill him physically, but also how they can challenge him and destroy from the minds of the people him being the Messiah. So we see cases where, say for example, in Mark chapter 2, verse 24, they question why does his disciples pluck grain on the Sabbath? And they were seen to show him as a sinner rather than the perfect Lamb of God. Or even in Mark chapter 12, they sought to trap him in a question which was, should the Jews give to Caesar? So their intent is clearly seen throughout the Gospels thus far. However, in Mark chapter 14 verse 1, we are informed of a Jewish observer, which is the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is about to take place. The Passover was first instituted in Exodus chapter 12, when the Israelites were about to leave Egypt. They were in bondage for approximately 400 years. The Israelites were commanded to kill a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish or defect and they were to feast upon it. But they were also to take the blood of the lamb and to sprinkle it on the doorposts, as commanded in Exodus 12, verse 7. God was going to strike Egypt, and he was going to kill the firstborn. And when he saw the blood of the lamb placed upon the Israelites' doorposts, he would pass over. So this feast was about to take place in the next two days, as Mark states, so that means that Jerusalem would have been filled with persons who would have come for the feast. So this would have not been an ideal time for the Pharisees and the Herodians to kill Jesus. See, the religious rulers' plan was to kill Jesus when there were few to no witnesses. They valued what people would think about them. They lived for the praises of men. This was important to them. However, within this passage, we also see someone else who was praised, but not by religious rulers, not by men, but praised by Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, we see an action by a woman whose name is not mentioned by Mark perform an action towards Jesus. However, in the Gospel of John, we see who this woman was and by knowing who she was and what she believed, we can understand better her actions. Mark chapter 12, which gives a similar account of the event, states that this woman was Mary, who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Even if we don't know who Mary was, we should remember Lazarus as the one who Jesus raised from the dead and who Jesus revivified. Mary was this woman in Mark who anoints Jesus with ointment. Jesus' interaction with Mary and Martha is first seen in Luke chapter 10 and is 
good that we examine it, that we see the type of relationship that was building between Mary and between Jesus. Mary, this woman that anoints Jesus in Mark chapter 14, in Luke chapter 10, took the opportunity to listen to the words that were preached by Christ as she sat at his feet. Hearing the gospel message, which would also be, include the type of death that Jesus would face. Sitting at the feet of a speaker can show a trust the listener has for what the speaker is saying, or a type of submission to one's authority. On the other hand, we have Mary's sister Martha, who is consumed with doing work around the home. She then complains about how she alone was serving and how Mary was basically sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yet, Jesus tells Martha that Mary has chosen the good portion. She chose to sit at the feet of Christ, to hear the gospel, rather than consuming her times and effort with things that would fade and things that would decay. Mary understood what was truly important. So Luke chapter 10 paints a picture for us. Mary and her thoughts towards Christ and why she chose to anoint Jesus with ointment. It was not some random act, but it was done based upon what she believed, what she heard in Luke chapter 10. Mary believed that Jesus' death was coming. So one of the practices of the Jewish people was to anoint a person's body prior to their death. So this is why I said that she believed what Jesus said to her. Her actions were evidence that she believed. She began to prepare Jesus, the Lamb of God, for the cross. The action of anointing Jesus with oil was also prophesied in Songs of Solomon. In chapter 1, verse 12. So at this moment, in Mark chapter 14, the prophecy here is fulfilled. So we have the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a foreshadow of what Christ would actually come to accomplish. Christ's work upon the cross, his atonement. And we see a prophecy in Psalms of Solomon, prayer to the birth of Christ. Here we have the picture that Jesus really then is the Lamb of God. You see, the religious rulers who were unbelievers wanted to kill Jesus in the dark so that their image would not be tainted, so that men would continue to see their good works and not glorify their Father in heaven, but glorify them. On the other hand, we see Mary, who loved Jesus, who knew this was the Father's will. Jesus went to the cross. She was not praised by men or the religious rulers, but she was praised by the one who praise actually mattered, Jesus. So this brings us to our first point. Man's praise is worthless in comparison to God's. Like the religious rulers, we sinners seek to distort the witness of Jesus so that we can be comfortable in our sin, so that our minds can basically be at ease. And we do this by seeking to say things such as, well, we can't know really if Jesus existed. We don't know if he was actually sinless. Or we try to distort the Bible. Can anyone really know if the Bible is true? 
So many years have passed, so many persons have changed the Bible, so we don't know if the scripture is true, and I am sure you guys have heard this before. And it's not a case because they're really here to dig into the scripture and find it out for themselves, but it is said because they want to put their minds at ease, ease. They need their minds to be at ease as they enjoy the pleasures of this world and oppose the sovereign ruler. And we too probably once in our unconverted state, if we are believers now, possibly have said this before. Like the religious rulers, unbeliever, you might think of yourself much better than you actually are. And like to showcase this type of good person image. You give to the needy, which is a good act, but you do it to be seen and praised by men. You attend church regularly to be named among the saints by men. Both of these actions may outwardly be seen by men as good, yet apart from God's grace, it is nothing more than filthy rites. And when we look at what filthy rites is as stated in Isaiah, this is what women used to use during their menstrual cycle. This is what we as sinners, our works are towards a holy, righteous God. Truly, and what is true about man, is that we hate the Father's begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and our works are evil. Yet, there is good news. Just as God passed over the Israelites, who had the blood of the Lamb upon their doorposts, Christ passes over, or his wrath is not upon anyone who would believe the gospel. Who would have said that they are vile and place their faith upon the Lamb of God, who is without blemish. Christ invites all to come in faith. So forget your faith righteousness. Forget living for the praises of men and being seen as a good person before men. But acknowledge that you are a sinner and you need the blood of the Lamb. The believer is not exempt from the call to live to the glory of God and not the praises of men. Mary took an ointment, which we were told is very expensive, and she poured it upon Jesus. What Mary did was seen by a, as a wasted effort in verse 4 by the disciples. That ointment could have been sold and given to the poor, we are told. We see in John chapter 12, verse 5, which is a parallel to this passage, and also Matthew chapter 26, verse 8, John chapter 12, verse 5 says, Judas was the one who stated that this could be sold for a certain amount and given to the poor. And we know Judas as the one who had betrayed Jesus. And even as John said, he was one who used to help himself to the money bag often. I will actually examine Judas um, later today. Yet, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 8, it doesn't just sing love Judas, but it states that the disciples were upset and responded that this could have been sold. What is understood here is that John basically records what Judas said, but in Matthew it shows what was on the minds and the lips of the disciples. So the John just singles out um, Judas. So it's not a, a contradiction of any sort. These disciples, like Mary, 
who would also include Judas, sat at the feet of Jesus. They were told of the gospel. They were told of the type of death that Jesus would face. However, the word of the Messiah was far from their minds, far from their hearts at this moment. Yet, despite their objections, Mary is complimented by Jesus. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. This is a good thing. Mary's actions show that she heard and that she also understood what Jesus had to do, unlike Jesus' disciples. Unlike Mary, we are not with Jesus now. We cannot anoint his body with oil because he has already gone to the cross. Yet, the question remains for us who are professing Christians, who are disciples of Christ, who are followers of Christ, is, have we done all that we can do for Christ? Have you been doing all that you could for Christ? Believer, are you doing all that you can possibly do at this moment for the gospel's sake and for God's glory? And there are just a few examples. Are you talking to unbelievers in your workplace? Are in your spirit about the gospel? Are like the religious rulers, are you more so concerned about what people will think about me? I don't want anybody to think of me strange. I don't want anybody to think of me as a, as a, a Jesus freak. So you're more so concerned about your image rather than making God known. Are you thinking about how you might advance the kingdom? How can I support those who are seeking to reach the unreached and establish healthy churches? How can I myself go in places where the gospel has not been heard? Or how do I even use my finance? How do I budget so that I can aid in the advancement of the gospel even within our local church community? Or your local church community for those who are visiting? The believer's life is actually a radical one. It's not one where we see just to be abnormal and strange towards, towards persons and just indifferent, but it should look vastly different from that of an unbeliever's life. It is easy to become comfortable and let the world's opinion of what a Christian is and what a Christian should do define you. Like the religious rulers, does a part of your heart still long for the praises of men rather than following the Bible and God's desires upon your heart? Christ has taken our guilt and our shame. We actually owe him the most. Not that we can ever repay, but like Mary, who understood the type of death Christ would die, who aimed to do all that she could. Are you? Lastly, we want to give our utmost or our best for the service of Christ. Mary not only acted on what she believed, we see that she believed that Jesus was the Messiah, she believed that Jesus was going to the cross, but she actually gave her best. As we are told, it was an expensive flask. She actually gave her best because she understood the weight of Christ's work. One who has lost a pencil 
right? Just a, a normal pencil does not pull out a hundred dollar bill to give the person who has found it. No one does that. Yet, one who has possibly lost a wallet with all their credentials, bank cards, national ID, driver's license, might possibly give a reward if their wallet is found and returned to by a person. Mary, understanding man's sin, understanding her sin, and that it took the blood of Christ, it took the Father's only begotten Son to save her, give her best service for Christ. Therefore, believer, your lack of zeal for the things of God may be due to the fact that you think of your sin as little, or you think of the work of Christ as small. The believer should give of their best, not only in things of ministry, but also in, but also in all things that they do. This is why even when we think about the work that we do, we are told to work as we would unto the Lord. Feed your zeal for Christ, and this will fuel how you do the things that you do, which are for God's glory. So this is where we dive into scripture with a typological lens when reading the Old Testament. Not seeking to read ourselves into the Bible, but seeking to understand the foreshadows of the gospel so that we can better think of Christ. This is why we believe that the gospel should be presented in every sermon so that we can think upon Christ, so that we can remember Christ. And this is also why the saints meet every Lord's Day, even as the saints of wolves met, to think upon Christ and the glorious gospel. Our hearts are easily satisfied, and this is why we need to be reminded constantly of the gospel. When our hearts are focused upon the gospel, just as Mary's was, we have a gospel-centric view, and we have a great motivation to give of our best.